With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Right here on Block Talk Radio, UltimateSportsTalk.com, and John M. Davis Books.Wix.com, LFL Network. Uh, so, welcome aboard another edition of the Blitz. And we have a lot of stuff going on in the women's game. Uh, we have the WFA uh, playoffs almost approaching us here in another two or three weeks. We also have the IWFL that's in, in play. Uh, we'll go into the women's recap at the later part of the hour, and we'll talk a little bit about that, as well as uh, we'll talk WFA Week 7 with uh, Holly Custis of the Seattle Majestics. Today, along signing Kishi Free, Troy Wilson won't be with us today, for some, and so he'll be back next week. So tonight we have uh, Kishi Free coming with us today, and in the midst of that, we'll be talking Women's Gridiron, like I said, NFL News, and we have a special guest today. We have a great show, the talented Adrian Smith, of the Boston Renegades, former uh, Boston Militia and founder of our network partner, G.I. Quindom. So she'll be here in about 15 minutes after the hour. Uh, first, the big news. Congrats to quarterback Allison Cahill of the Boston Renegades on winning her 100th game in the WFA, uh, 13th season career, 100 game in the WFA. So congratulations to her. We'll talk to Adrian about that as well. And the debut of the Swedish sensation quarterback, Martina Carlson, who's uh, off the Swedish national team as well, and she debuted in the German Ladies Football League, uh, the Division One league in Germany, with the Berlin Cobras, the uh, always formidable Berlin Cobras. And plus a big shout-out to Gianna Sarasol of Team Legacy of the women's Guam Women's Tackle Football on uh, posting her no-joke football gear uh, this week for us to share. So thank you to Gianna. And if you get the same chalkline tea at our Zazzle shop at Zazzle.com, you can go to the site now, Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties, and you can help us support the Gridiron Australia Girls Squad uh, fundraiser for the IFAP World Championships in 2017. 
take advantage of the Zazzle code daily. Um, up in the upper right-hand corner, there's always a 15, 25, or even up to 50% off daily. So check out Zazzle.com forward slash gridironbeauties, and you can check out the no-joke football apparel on there. So, and Kishi, uh, how's it going today? It's going good. What's going on with you? We're doing good. Um, hanging out up in Cali. No bad weather. So, I hope everything's okay over there with the weather. And so, we, oh. we have news with the NFL. So, I guess your prediction and our talk in the last couple months has come true. It looks like a shift of, of focus, as Troy had mentioned before about you know, you had Todd, uh, Todd Gurley. Now you got uh, Ezekiel uh, up in, in Dallas. So we're looking at maybe a resurgence of the running back as a focal point in a lot of offenses, as as I read now with everybody getting ready for, uh, you know, the OTAs and the training camps. Oh, yeah. Well, and and the reason why is because after a while, you've got to be able to do something other than to throw the football. I mean, I think – a lot of it had to do with the whole Brady Manning, you know, with, with them. Yeah, Brady and, and Manning, I think, really set this in motion in terms of what I call the era of the quarterback. And the mm-hmm. reason why I say that is because in the past, quarterbacks were clearly always important, but it was always a balanced offense. There was never any one player. Yes, you had to have a great quarterback, but at the same time, Rex Grossman proved with, uh, when he was with the uh, Bears in um, Chicago that you could get to the Super Bowl and still be a mediocre quarterback, you know. But yeah, after yeah, that, something about that, yeah, something about that Brady-Manning era just really propelled quarterbacks. And then we just – it really turned into a, such a gunslinger league. And then, you know, Drew Brees breaking Dan Marino's record. I mean, it just – it was all about the quarterback and the deep threat, and and it, it didn't become balanced. And now the people are starting to game plan better for the quarterbacks, and they're getting injured. I mean, if you think about it, the the best quarterbacks have all had major injuries, and the teams realize either we've got to keep cranking out the supply, which you can only go long because it's not like the colleges are cranking out quarterbacks, or you've got to get some balance. Because there isn't one of the top ten quarterbacks that did not suffer significant injuries in the past three years, between Brady, um, you know, when he had the ACL, Manning with the neck, Tony Romo's numerous injuries, Philip Rivers had a major injury, Drew Brees with the injury uh, last year, what the Ravens lost Flacco for all, what almost half the season. So at this point, the realization is you've got to return back to the balance. So, and Kishi, do you really feel at this point, from what I gather from you, is because of the lack of the superstar quarterback, we are now have to, I wouldn't say regress, but we have to go back to basics in the game, which now we have to incorporate, like you said, a more balanced, a balanced attack versus having to rely on, you know, the amount of quarterbacks that we've had in the past. Because just because Brady, I mean, uh, Manning's no longer here, Brady's on his way out, you got uh, a lot of quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks, in the same boat now. Within the next two or three years, some of them are going to transition out. And we have not seen so far, uh, you know, an evolution. You know, we have uh, Tony Romo. We got some some names, a playoff contending type of quarterback. So, you know, the Aaron Rodgers type or the uh, Tom Brady type. 
but I mean, I think, is that what you're saying? You're saying that this is now a shift where we have to have a more balanced attack because of the fact that we don't have that prolific uh, uh, passer anymore. I definitely think it's a shift because of that, but I also think it has to do with the fact that um, if it's not if it's not balanced, um, let's take Des Bryant for example. Okay, Des Bryant is arguably one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. Take Larry Fitzgerald, even though he's past his prime. Larry Fitzgerald is still one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. But how ineffective were they when Carson Palmer went out, when Tony Romo went out? They became ineffective because if you don't have a quality quarterback with the arm who and the accuracy to get the ball to them, they're ineffective. And you've taken and as much as you've taken them off the game. But you don't have to be an effective quarterback to hand off the ball to a running back. And you, no, you and, don't. And, that's, and that's, yeah. that's what the running back game is that we haven't had in a while. And it allows mediocre so, teams so this, to relevant. This passing, this passing revolution really, uh, I wouldn't say comes to an end, but it's a reality check for a lot of franchises because they don't have that um, – you know, you might have it in certain uh, in certain divisions. You're going to probably have one or two teams that still is going to rely on the um, passing game for the most part in in, in play calling. Um, but you know, uh, kind of true to what you've said before in the NBA, you can only live by the three pointer for so long before you know you start to your shot percentage goes down. So I guess this is kind of similar in terms of a quarterback stability, and so you have to balance it. Uh, you have teams sometimes that have a good quarterback and got no no wide receiver core. Then you got teams that have a great balance of a quarterback and a running back, but you got no no great offensive uh, a shield. So a, a lot of teams are going to have to start to evaluate as to how do they want to you know uh, construct their offense to better benefit them in a lot of the situations they're going to confront, which is um, defensively based on the rules. The defenses have become a little bit more uh, scheme in more schemes because of the fact that the restrictions have been put on them because of the passing game and, and the league em- emphasizing the passing game. So a lot of the shifting has gone where you don't have as much sacks as you used to in the back and back in the day, but with the same token, you do have a lot more injuries regarding that because there's just a lot more pressure that is put on a defense to try to, you know, rush the passer or contain it. Um, so, uh, it, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to play out, especially in the off season with the, uh, training camps at this point. So here's what I'm, so here's where the way I see it, you've got a scheme, but even with the schemes, what really made football great in the classic sense of the game, in all truth, were the offense and defensive lines, because you can think of the pass rushers. You can think of, you say, the steel curtain. Now, yes, most people can rattle off the names individually of the members of the steel curtain. But when you think of the steel curtain, you're thinking of a unit. The purple people eaters, you think of a unit and about the individual. 
you know, the Tony Dorsett's of the world could do what he did because they had that offensive core that was able to protect, um, you know, Roger Staubach. It matters when you have the lines. And I really think, and as much as we're talking about a return to a more balanced offense, and I know that if you, especially if you listen to Mike Golick or Mike and Mike, he will tell you, and if you listen to other guests, the defensive units uh, have really felt maligned. I promise within the next year or two, I bold prediction that you are going to see a lot more investment in the front seven and um, and 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 on on the uh, offensive side as well as that defensive core on the line because there has to be a balance and it's going to be a return back to basics and fundamentals. So you're looking at like so let's look at the Cowboys look at the Cowboys for example. So you pick up uh, Ezekiel Elliott because of the fact that he's able to you know give you that balance attack that you lost. So the, the expectations now, I think coming into this play, is not going to be necessarily on Tony Roma's shoulders, but it's going to be may, maybe more pressure on the offensive line for protection and to create the A-gaps uh, that, that's going to be yeah. necessary for you know, a fullback or running back to get the amount of yardage that needs to be you know, done. Because you know, up to this point that we're talking about, uh, you know, there was a lot of players that, uh, you know, Revis Island, for example, that made their name. Yeah. Uh, as, as, as uh, on the passing game, you know, cornerbacks were like, you know, the, the prime people to get. So I think the shift to your point is really that that's what we're going for. We're going for a fullback mentality once again, as a blocking setup, and then you got the main running back. But the pressure now is basically on, you know, the interior linemen, which they're going to have to be more astute as to opening the gaps uh, for mm-hmm. for a balanced offense. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's not going to be possible without the balance it it just isn't even going to be an option and I think that that is going to be good you know and what's going to be important somewhere during the during the uh, late 80s to the mid 90s is when you really saw the shift so to speak um, in terms of creating these high-profile players, and and a perfect example of what I mean by high-profile players. Everybody knows Sweetness. Everybody knows Walter Payton. Shout out to Jackson State University in Mississippi. Go Swack! But in the biggest stage, on the biggest stage, the Bears did not get their biggest player the ball. Refrigerator Perry got a touchdown. Now, I know Mike right. has always talked about how that was his biggest regret was not giving that to Sweetness, and I know that he will forever go down. You know, and I know that, that when he passed, that was one of the things he said always haunted him was that he didn't get a touchdown on the biggest stage. But the the point of that is that there still was so much more of the team mentality. Yes, you had standouts. Yes, you had breakouts. Yes, you had superstars who just excelled, but at the same time, you know, again, it was less about individuals. Then all of a sudden you've got prime time and, you know, and and doing his little, you know, dance. And then you've got Ray Lewis with his dance and, 
you know, you got Michael Irvin who God knows is the love of my life. That man just does not know. That man just does not know. He is the love of my life. I love me some Michael Irvin. But it but it brought in this just over the top, which is followed up by the TOs and the Chads and you know, and I think right, right. that it, it just became too much. Yeah, and, and so I think they, really so the last six the last six yeah the last six drafts we've we've seen only four running backs selected in the first twenty five picks. So that's gotta tell you right there that the passing game was so dominant. So besides, you know, uh, Gurley in Los Angeles, which is probably the most, you know, the most uh, spotlighted power, uh, you know, power runner uh, since probably Adrian Peterson came into the league. Uh, you, you're talking about, like I said earlier, you're talking about Ezekiel Elliott being uh, a strong argument as being probably the most complete tailback, you know, prospect in the last 10 years. So, um, uh, Kishi, let's, let's go into the huddle because uh, we got to our, our guest on now. So let's go into the huddle, yeah. the No Joke Football Huddle, and we're going to go into and talk to the um, always entertaining and uh, founder of GA Quindam, as well as uh, all-star for the WFA Boston Renegades, and that would be the fantastic Adrian Smith. So, Adrian, are you on? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing great, Adrian. How's uh, 2016? We're 2016's off to a really good start, for sure. Awesome. Uh, so Adrian, you're on with Nkishi Free, our co-host here. And so, um, Adrian, the the WFA, um, I, I'm just going to joke around here. Do you think you have a bullseye, okay. just like the Divas did this year, uh, the schedule-wise, in terms of Tier One? What What's your feeling on the schedule when it came out? Uh, I think I don't know if it's it's a bullseye or just par for the court uh, course in terms of. Um, what the Boston team has always faced every year. We've had um, a very difficult schedule, um, mainly because we play in, you know, the, with uh, amongst the teams on, in the Eastern part of the United States. And so we're constantly going up against the divas, the Chicago forces of the world. And now that uh, Pittsburgh has rejoined the WFA, um, the competition is, is always toughest for those teams on the eastern side of the uh, United States. So, Adrian, uh, given given the schedule, and we talked to mm-hmm. uh, the Divas this year. We've talked to uh, Odessa and Dallas. Yeah. Um, the tier system seems to be a good a, a good uh, realization. I think by the WFA. Um, I think if I'm a sponsor uh, in mm-hmm. this year in 2016 that I can start to see something that I could get behind. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you have some really good matchups uh, on the schedule within the eight-week period. You have yourself. You just, you just, you guys mm-hmm. just came off beating uh, the Passion and snapping their 27-game right. winning streak. And then you, before that game, you had the Divas taking on the Force. And way before mm-hmm. that, we had the Elite taking on the Divas. Yeah. Um, and then you got Chicago uh, coming in now this next week into your house. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as a fan, I've been following it since, you know, for five years as a fan, I think this is, this is the most crucial year, I think, in terms of coverage, social media based uh, interaction and awareness, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of bringing the sport more into light. Uh, this is probably the most exciting season. Um, and the tier system seems to be, I mean, everybody complains or they're going to whine about, okay, you know, we should be number one, number four, 
but I think Massey gets it gets it right. So if we have to go to college football as an example, where mm-hmm. you know you have the AP poll, you got all the college football poll. Um, if we're going to make it a standard where the Massey the Massey ratings are going to be a benchmark, I think it's great. Like we were talking to Odessa before, that this could mm-hmm. be a benchmark for you know for sponsorship or to showcase somebody and say we are we are the number four team in the nation. You know our our brand is this. Do you think that mm-hmm. that's on a business side of things? Do you think that's going to help? Uh, if if we're if we're speaking from a purely uh, a business perspective, I'll say what I've been saying um, from day one, and that's that the uh, the leagues have to merge. Um, right yep. now, there is there's um, there's too much yep. product on the market and yep. too much diluted product, which makes it a poor, a poor product. Uh, and yep. that is preventing sponsorship. I have spoken to representatives at um, major television networks, at major sports um, apparel brands, and this is the feedback. So anyone listening to this, if there's some way that we can all rally and do what the NFL did, what the men did back in the 1960s, and combine the two men's football leagues at that time into one league, now we're talking. Yes, in terms of the WFA itself, having the tier structure is fantastic. It is pitting the best teams against each other consistently, which makes for a better entertainment product. But overall, if you want my opinion about women's football as a business, we will not be making progress until we are unified. Amen. You could. I've I've said it from after because I'm I'm going on two years now, Adrian. Mm-hmm. And um, within the first six months, I was so discombobulated. I said, mm-hmm. "How am I supposed?" To and like, how I don't like Oscar just had me floored and flabbergasted because I could not understand how he could keep up with everything because. <laughs> you know, I'm like well, Oscar's a genius, the- so we're we're lucky to have him. Oh my gosh, <laughs> honey, yeah, I don't sleep. Are you tell so you guys know. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm gonna tell you, I I'm I'm in great honor and luck to be you know with him. But yes, because I cannot keep up. There's too many teams. Um, yes. Between the, between the two leagues, um, and additionally within each league you have so many teams and then mm-hmm. they come, they go, they come, they go. And I'm like, right. how am I supposed to build a following around people that are only around for two years before they're gone? And then, like you said, you know, in the WFA, then they left to the mm-hmm. IWFL. Now they're back again. I am so, you know, it, it's, right. it's disconcerting. Even if, for example, you know, Oscar's beloved Rams, they might travel around the country, but guess what? They are still in the NFL. You know, they're not going to – they're not taking the Rams and then moving them to NFL Europe, which, of course, I know doesn't exist anymore, but that's not the point. Right. You know, and then, oh, you know what? You guys did really good. You know what? There's an opening slot. Come on back, Rams. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not happening. And and it does, it, it does make it easier to combine the teams. There's no reason why – there are two teams in the same city from two different leagues. Now, granted, Correct. like I live here in the D.C. area, you've got the Skins and you've got Baltimore. There is geographically enough of a distance 
mm-hmm. you can justify the two teams because theoretically D.C. is D.C. Well, the, right. The market's large enough to support, to sustain both teams. I'm in New York City. You know, you have the Jets and the Giants. The market exactly. is large enough. There's enough money. There are enough people in New York City to sustain two teams. It's, it's, it's um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling as if we keep beating this horse, which has been dead since like 1772. We all know the answer. I think the next step is what 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 does it take or what will it take or who needs to sit at whatever table in order to have discussions to combine the leagues? Um, Adrian. That, that's, that's the real question, yes. Adrian, I know you're in the background. I know you're, you know, always a busy bee and you're doing a lot of things, you know, in, mm-hmm. with yes. your company. And you're yes. doing a lot of things. So, I mean, people don't realize how much of a hard worker you are on top of your football you know, uh, that you do. But the only reason I bring up the business side of it is because you're probably one of the people, you know, besides Odessa and a couple of people that I talk to that really mm-hmm. see, you know, the, the aspect of a sponsor, you know, because if, mm-hmm. if you put them, if you put yourself on their shoes um, and I know you run your companies and you have your companies, mm-hmm. so you're not going to just, you know, go f- full four on, on a brand just because somebody approaches you and says something. So, th- you know, the real business aspect of things, you know, like, you know, the Under Armour, or the bigger right. brands, um, you know, they're asking for a return on the investment. And that's the one thing mm-hmm. I tell people, you know, no, no major sponsor is going to take on something unless they can see a return on investment. And once they exactly. see that, then they obviously, you know, they get on there. So an example I gave, um, I, you know, we talked to Odessa a while back, you know, she's, you know, passionate about getting her team front and center and locally in a community-based, you know, driven uh, grassroots mentality, which is mm-hmm. great. What I've talked to people in the leagues, and you've probably, you know, done the same internally, is the fact that we don't have the vision to say, okay, you know, the tier one, the tier one teams, we've always had a travel issue, you know, because of expenses. Right. Okay, so if if you can if you can justify a good brand, uh, a, a hotel chain, a a, mm-hmm. a minor uh, airline that can get you, you mm-hmm. know, within an hour or two of something like that. Um, that's what we need to talk to in a league format, but we don't have the, we don't have the umbrella. In other words, the league isn't doing that to justify maybe putting six East coast teams on a trial period for X, you know, 36 months as an example um, mm-hmm. to buzz, to bring some buzz, you know, put in, mm-hmm. uh, for example, if you, if you put in yourself, Boston, uh, the divas, Pittsburgh, uh, let's say Chicago, and even, uh, I don't know how far Atlanta is, but you know, you pick f- six teams as an example, and you mm-hmm. put in a maybe a 12-week schedule, and every team is going to have to have like maybe uh, in between games maybe a two-week period off because of cost because mm-hmm. you can't travel week to week. Right. But you can fluctuate the schedule. You can fluctuate the schedule where one team gets two weeks off, so you're able to you know either you know do fundraising within that 10 days or 15 days, um, mm-hmm. and go that route. But I mean that that that's the same thing that you're saying to us right now that I've been saying for the last five years and I've followed the sport in a short term. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. you know other players have followed it since you know longer time. What is it going to take at this point? But that's not what I brought you on the show today because I brought you on the show today just to get you to get the fans excited about. Mm-hmm. You were in Pittsburgh. You guys yes. lost uh, 17 seconds. 17 seconds at your home against the Divas, which is one of the most exciting games we've seen in a long time in terms of, yes. you know, crunch time towards the end. 
you know, Allison and, and um, Allie uh, duel. Uh, that was just amazing mm-hmm. on top of your amazing catches. And then you have uh, uh, Wizenet, and then you have uh, uh, Congetta, and obviously you mm-hmm. have Sealy. Um, so, you know, a lot of players that uh, are very talented. So take us right now, take us into 2016 with let's go back to Divas and then we'll go to Pittsburgh. But let, let, Divas, what, was that was that heart-wrenching for you or was that a moment of realization to say, okay, we're, we're, this is top, this is Tier 1? Because up to that point, you had not faced a Tier 1 team. It was basically, what, Tier 2 and maybe Tier 3, right? Uh, I believe Philly, I'm not sure which tiers they fall into, but uh, the uh, Philly Phantoms and the Cleveland Fusion were before uh, the game against the DC Divas. Uh, and yes, it was it was a heart wrenching um, but good game. I mean, it's it's always a good game between uh, Boston Renegades and the DC Divas. And uh, we in Boston, we don't shy away from anyone. So we're we're looking for the challenge. We want to um, show what we're capable of. And um, it didn't it didn't come out in our favor. And we know why, and so we're we're looking forward to um, the rematch in June. And um, again, from a business perspective, that was a great game for women's football. It was great, great product, and very exciting for fans. Um, from within, as a team, a, a member of the Boston Renegades team, um, it was good for us in terms of letting us know what strengths we need to continue to build on and then also equally as importantly letting us know where our weaknesses are and what we need to strengthen in that in those areas. Now the 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 running game is it a balanced game this year at this point cuz I know watching the game against the Divas it was pretty evenly matched. I mean there was some uh, air ball going on to, mm-hmm. in terms of opportunities but for the most part, it seems like you guys have a balanced offense. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, our offensive coordinator this year, Vernon Crawford, he's been with the uh, the organization for um, several years now. And we're really, we're really excited about our offense because it, it lends itself to the run game as well as to um, the passing game. And whether that's kind of the short five, six-yard kind of passing game or when we decide to go, um, to go deep, we have, you know, our, 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 one of our newer wide receivers, uh, Emily Beinecke, who's really stepped up this year, and she's, she's in beast mode when it comes to the deep ball. Now, against Pittsburgh, you guys were going in, uh, you know, pretty confident, but you already know them. It's, they've been away for mm-hmm. two years, but it's, been, it's a similar, I mean, you know Lisa Horton, <laughs> and right. you know their receivers. So it's familiar territory. So were you guys aware that they were on this on this 27-game uh, winning streak? And was that something that you guys were looking for, or is it just the win that you guys were just going for? Uh, you know, I, I will be honest that since I've been playing in the WFA, my focus has been more on the teams in the WFA. So I personally wasn't aware that they had a winning streak until I think the Thursday – practice before we all traveled to to Pittsburgh and then I forget I think one of our coaches mentioned it and I was like oh 27 games in the IWFL okay well now they're back in the WFA and so in my mind it was like well now they're going to 
get back to that taste of, I, I have to say it, the, the I think, more of a, a top-notch, um, higher-quality um, world of, of women's football. You have more of the stronger teams in the WFA, and I think um, what was interesting about our game on Saturday is now it was almost like um, – a litmus test, almost like an, an indicator of where the two leagues are lining up. So if the passion, if they were the champions for the past two years in the IWFL and now they're back in the WFA, it'll be interesting to see how they pan out as they, they tend to play some of the more high, more highly ranked teams within the WFA, whether that's the Boston Renegades, the, um, the Chicago Force, et cetera as they complete their season and move into the playoffs. And it's going to be tough because uh, when I saw your game against against them, it was pretty mm-hmm. close, and then you guys kind of ran away with it in the last quarter. So uh, that kind of proved uh, there that, you know, your their offense was, was dialed at some point, but then you guys, your defense stepped up, and then you guys kind of just turned on the burners there in the last uh, five minutes or so. Well, you know, I think it was a little bit different. The, you know, Pittsburgh got off to a quick start with um, uh, running a kickoff return back. I think, uh, I think mm-hmm. they ran it back either 65 or 75 yards, and then, you know, our offense, we stalled on our first, our first drive out there, and then Pittsburgh scored. So they were up, um, I want to say, 12-0. Um, but then we had a phenomenal uh, play by uh, one of our corners, uh, Brianna Gallo, who ran back what would have been an extra point, a pass for an extra point. She ran that all the way back to the other end. And that kind of just, you know, I think it, it was it was a little little jolt we needed um, as a team for, you know, us to just kind of focus and be like, okay, you know, special teams, we, that kickoff return was not what we were expecting, but we're still the Boston Renegades. We're still going to play Renegades football. So let's get about, you know, get about our business. And so from that point on, um, I think we scored a couple touchdowns, and once we took the lead, we never really lost the lead. So I don't know if it, it was in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden we turned on the Jets. It was more about steadily just being the um, the the gas the gas going, you know, pedal to the metal, and and pushing forward. That was that was our thinking the whole way. Is once we got started, not to let off. And then our defense. I'm really really proud of the defense because. Uh, we have a, a you know a fair number of rookies on the defense, and they came up with some big turnovers um, to really give the offense to give us a chance to to make something happen. And so, if anything, you know, from an offensive perspective, and that's what I really like to speak about because I play offense, is um, where our goal is to really convert every single time we get a possession. And so we didn't follow through with that per se in this game. We did a good job of putting uh, points on the board, but there's always room for improvement. And I'm just really, really proud about how the Renegades came back because when you get scored on in the first play and then the defense or the offense, the opponent's offense scores again, you know, that can, that can really take the wind out of a team's sails. And I'm just really proud at, at, at the way the Renegades, we came together as a team, coaching staff, everyone included, to, to kind of just, you know, strap in and say, okay, we're down 12-0. Let's just continue to play our game, put our heads down, and, 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 and go forward. Now, Adrian, the, the next two weeks is going to be brutal. 
or uh, as mm-hmm. uh, Alex Daniel would say, gruesome. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you get Chicago next, and then you yes. finish up in, in D.C. So, I mean, uh, yes. that's why I was mentioning at the beginning of, of the show whether you have a bullseye, because that's a double tier one t- uh, schedule. I don't think anybody else has had that schedule. If you look at the schedules, I don't think anybody's had back to back, you know, tier one matchups. I think if we, I might be wrong, but uh, well, yeah, you but guys are probably the first to have that. So. I mean, it, it, for the for the fans, uh, for us as a perspective, for the fans, uh, it's kind of exciting. We're we're gonna get to see you guys, which are always exciting to mm-hmm. see. Then we get Chicago, which is exciting mm-hmm. to see, and then and then we get, you know, uh, as you said before, you get you know always entertaining divas renegades. It's it's always right. a classic. So right, so right. the next two weeks it's gonna be very exciting. So Chicago as an example here. Um, mm-hmm not take anything away from, you know, anything that they've done. Uh, they get beat and edged by the Divas, which mm-hmm. is, it's the only tier one team they've faced this season. So you can tell, like, like you were talking about with Pittsburgh, this was a, a caliber matchup uh, when, you know, when DC faced Chicago, because this is kind of like the same, the same gauge as to where you're at. Right. Uh, because right. they had been blowing opponents, you know, before that by over 60 points right before they get to there. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the brakes have stopped and, your car is stalling and isn't humming as mm-hmm. it normally does. Um, so Chicago, the, the, how does how are you approaching Chicago at this point? I know you can't give us any real secrets, but um, you know they do, are they similar to Pittsburgh in a way? Uh, no, and we we're Chicago's a good team. They've they've always been a good team, and it's just so everyone's aware. I mean, it's it's almost with every year after year, we're constantly, Boston always has to play D.C. and Chicago. It's just we never get around it. So this is not new for us in terms of the Tier 1 um, connotation might be a new term that we can, you know, use throughout the WFA now. But year after year, ever since I started playing with uh, Boston um, in 2011, it's always been uh, D.C. two times uh, in the regular season and then facing uh, Chicago at some point last year, I believe we we played Chicago during the regular season as well. So this is something we're used to. So it's it's not necessarily this. Oh my gosh, what's happening now with the tier system in the WFA? This is again part of the course for us, which I think helps us uh, build up stamina and build up just the uh, the the grit that you need to make it all the way through to a championship. So for Chicago, um, again, very tough team, always well coached. They're always looking to win, and um, they're different from Pittsburgh, I would say, in that with Pittsburgh you have Lisa Horton. I mean, you can't take anything away from her. Fantastic, phenomenal quarterback um, who has receivers and just will will be able to connect with them and, and, and assault you from the air. Um, with Chicago, um, them not, no longer having Sammy Grisaki, it's a little bit different from their end. I think, you know, um, their quarterback is doing more. Uh, she's running more. So it's just it's a, it's a different game, a, a style for them. I think Chicago offensively, um, defensively for Chicago, it, whatever they do, you know, we're our offensive coordinator, the, the Renegades, we're going to, we're going to have uh, some type of answer for that. So, I definitely think there there will be a difference in style in terms of how Chicago plays versus how Pittsburgh plays, and so as a result, uh, the Renegades we will we will adjust accordingly to get the win. 
Now, I Tisha, have a you got anything for Adrian? I do. Um, so for those who are new to women's football, mm-hmm. can you explain how the teams are aligned in terms of the tier one, tier two? Because if you look at, you know, the website, of course, um, you've got divisions, and divisions right. appear to be, you know, uh, determined by geography and region. So how do you determine then based on your division, whether you're in the national conference or if you're in the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, or the American conference, how are you determining between the two conferences which teams are Tier 1 and Tier 2? That's a great question, and I have no idea. I think um, Lisa King, who you know, who, who runs, she and her husband run the WSA. Um, they would be the appropriate people to, to to ask that question. I think my my gut, what what I think I know is that every year the WSA is trying to make the league more competitive. So we've all embraced having uh, these these schedules where we're pitting the best teams against each other. And, again, Oscar, as you mentioned before, it can be difficult because of travel expense. So, uh, Keisha, I don't don't have the uh, textbook answer as to how the divisions are selected and how the tiers were selected, but I do know um, from a player standpoint that it is – it's nice. It feels good to know that we're going against – these other top-notch franchises, um, the DC Divas of the world, the Chicago Forces of the world, the Pittsburgh Passions of the world. It, it really does a lot to elevate the game. Oh, I definitely so think Kishi, so. I think um, the blowout games are, Kishi, the, are terrible. The answer, the yeah, the answer is that um, when they went to a Tier 1 system, from what I was told, they took into account uh, last year's Massey ratings primarily in terms of mm, okay. strength of schedule and things like that. And then what they did is they, they refocused them into a three-tier system based on roster, uh, veterans, and returning and things like that. So they took a lot of things into account. So you're in Tier 1, um, to answer your question, in Tier 1, you have the best teams nationwide. So when the playoffs come around this year, um, the playoffs were normally broken down by, like, you know, region or division. Now they're going to be broken down based on ratings and strength of schedule. So, you know, you have uh, Tier 2 teams that are almost caliber to the Tier 1 teams, but they're outmatched. Uh, so that means their quality of play is probably not up to par. So this is more of a Division 1, Division 2, Division 3 type of college football uh, mentality, which I think helps, helps grow the game because you have mm-hmm. some matchups within the year that you're going to play a Tier 2 team, which uh, it helps the Tier 2 team get competitive with a Tier 1 it also helps the tier one team kind of like get, you know, familiarized and loosened up with playing at least some sort of a caliber team. And then you have a tier three team that plays maybe tier two that is kind of an equal footing, or they could be, you know, almost as good as tier two. And then you have some tier three teams that were playing tier one teams, which, you know, the score is going to reflect that 84 to zero right. or something like that, which you know that they're not up to par yet. So I think they were uh, to Adrian's point, I think they were the WFA was thinking more of how do we grow the game, but still you know focus on maybe a couple teams that we can showcase uh, to to make sure the caliber of the game is still there. So you have Chicago, you know, as the East Coast as what I call the East Coast swing, as basically one of the best you know best uh, franchises 
So they put them up in a top 10. And I think that it's, it's working this year because as a fan, like I said, it's very interesting to see, you know, some, uh, some, you know, tier one matchups in the, in the mm-hmm. regular season schedule versus having to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, and so, and well, and that makes sense. And I, and I, and I'm glad to see that, you know, the league is thinking ahead because Oscar, that was something we talked um, intense, um, extensively about last year was the fact that the blowout games made it not fun or worth watching. Whereas, you know, Troy and I, for our first game, you know, we got to watch Dallas Elite versus the DC Divas, and we just lost our minds, you know. At all. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, that that matters. So my other question, again, um, is for the uh, for the fans, again, who are still new to the game. So mm-hmm. you and Oscar have talked a lot tonight about the rivalry between the DC Divas and the Boston Renegades. Can you kind of take us back, I mean, and, and give some history and background into this rivalry so that way the new fans can get as emotionally caught up in it as you guys? Oh, well, I'm laughing because I'm just trying to remember what year that was. I think it was 2013. So, um Let's see. I used to play for the team in New York, so I came. I came to Boston in 2011, and I heard from players who were on the, the the team when I joined that you know there was just a bad blood between Boston and DC even before I arrived, due to uh, I believe it was a playoff game where it looked like uh, I think Allison Cahill made some tremendous you know just last-ditch effort to score a touchdown, and there was something just astronomical, like negative four seconds left, which isn't real. So maybe like, you know, maybe like 11 seconds left in the game, Boston kicks off, and then the DC Divas return the ball for a touchdown, thereby winning the game and ending Boston's season. I don't know what year that was, but ever since then, that was kind of like the spark that ignited what would continue to grow into this, this tremendous rivalry. And so it's, you know, uh, it's, it's something that has year after year continued to build up. And then, you know, this wasn't the most prominent or, you know, wonderful point in women's football, but the rivalry even extended to a brawl that, that happened on the field after a playoff game. I think it was in 2013. So, it's it's serious business, and that that you know, people were suspended, et cetera. Situations were handled by the WFA, um, and it uh, kind of diffused it for that year. But going forward, you have rivalries like this because people are passionate; they want to win, and you have exceptional athletes on both sides of the ball that are committed to this, and their one person's excellence makes the other person have to become more excellent. And so I think that that's something that all true athletes really crave, wanting to be the best. And in order to be the best, you've got to go against the best. And, um, you know, perhaps perhaps that's why even the Pittsburgh Classroom came back to the WFA. They had conquered the, the IWFL. They wanted to go and just, you know, enter, enter a new land or, or enter – back into the old lands that they, they originally left to just get get more of that high-level competition, get exposure to that. So 
Um, if you're looking for a rivalry, I'm, you know, I can't even just leave it at Boston versus D.C. It's I feel like it's Boston versus Chicago as well. It's, it's, it's Boston versus everybody. I don't know. When you get even D.C. versus Dallas, when you get these these teams that are we're at the top of the pyramid here and we're all duking it out, it's not just the players. It's the coaches as well who are pitting their minds and their strategies against one another. It really is um, emotional. It's, 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 it's physical. It's everything that I believe um, football brings to the table, and, and it's, it's us women doing it. That's so awesome. I mean, but I mean, but again, that with that backstory, you know, it, it helps because, like for example, um, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, and you know, <laughs> and I live here in the area, and um, you know, and it's just something you know, like you said, I grew up with. This was the rivalry, and you know, the whole thing. Yeah. But it really wasn't until, but it wasn't something that was ever explained, and it really wasn't until I watched um, some of those great NFL Network films. They really right. talked about how bad the rivalry was, you know, um, and, and how, you know, uh, George Allen and, you know, and his, and, and you know, and Strom and, and just the back and forth and, you know, and, and Jack can't cook. And I'm just like, ah. Right. <laughs> before all the stuff that happened before I came along, you know, but the backstory matters and then it just adds to it. And, and you know what else? I like something else you said about Pittsburgh coming back because of these rivalries. Um, Troy, our other co-host, who's not on tonight, he's a diehard Skins fan. And he and I have both agreed that when both teams are weak, it ruins the rivalry. Like, yeah, right. we want to be able to say that we broomed each other. You know, yeah, we swept you this year. Yeah, we swept you this year. And that's a fun thing to say, but it's not fun if they're not at their best, because then exactly. it's like you're picking on, you know, a defenseless, you know, and it, it just takes the deflates to all the fun out of it. So I absolutely mm-hmm. agree about doing the best on the best, but this has been really great information. You know, like I said, a lot of this Oscar has taught me and, you know, offline, but it just wanted to give the listeners a chance to hear from you, a player, you know, some of the background about what makes this rivalry so amazing. Right, right. No, that's. I'm. I'm glad you brought it up. And yeah, it's. You don't. Varsity is expected to beat JV. So you know, there's no real excitement when varsity wins. Um. So if they're playing against JV, so I think when we have these these top tier teams playing one another, that everybody, the coaches have to be have to be smarter. They have to prepare more. They can't take any you know preparation days off. The athletes have to be better athletes, both physically and mentally when it comes to the game. Basically, you know, I just, a, a scripture just popped into to my head, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's the same way. As D.C. plays Boston, as Boston plays Chicago, we're sharpening one another. We're elevating the, the women's game and creating a better product that will be more entertaining and engaging for fans. Now, uh, Adrian, I went back to research because this is always nice to do. And mm-hmm. since uh, the IWFL days in 2010, and in Keisha, mm-hmm. you will relate to this because you're a Redskins and Cowboy fan. So this is in the same light, okay? 
the DC Divas win their WFA National Championship by beating Miami in the quarters, semifinal beating Atlanta. They beat the Force in the conference championship. But guess what? Wow. They have never beaten Boston in a title game to a title game. They've always lost <laughs> to Boston in the National Conference semifinal. So you can tell why right. the rivalry is so bitter for Washington and why the win in the regular season by 17 seconds in the end zone against Boston was so exciting because they had never done that before. That's right. That's right. That's a good point to bring up, Oscar. So, yes, so since 2011, and, it, you know, it would be – we would be playing D.C. three times a year, so two times in the regular season, and then we would inevitably meet in the playoffs and – we we constantly ended their playoff run from from 2011 until I believe last year until 2015 yep, when they cool. went all the way when DC went all the way to win the uh, the uh, Super Bowl. So that's that's another yes that's a very good point. That's another um, a, a very strong factor into why the rivalry between D.C. and Boston is so, uh, is, is so profound because year after year, if you're constantly losing to the same team in, in such a, an integral point of the season, that kind of builds up. So very good point. Yeah, and, you know, beating Chicago on your end, them beating Chicago last year to get to the, to the final, mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was, that's a lot better when, you, when you're beating a Tier 1 team of equal quality and then you yes. get on to it. Uh, same feeling that uh, the elite had last year when they got beat in the uh, championship. The fact right. that they faced somebody at the same caliber, not taking anything away, and then all of a sudden, this year they get a you know they get an in-season crack at them. Um, right. So you know right. they're hoping they hope they're hoping they get the same semifinal crack <laughs> at the end. Maybe meet them up once again just to, so they can have that feeling of you know overcoming. Um, no, so I agree, Adrian, Oscar, and it and it it means it means so much more when you you know DC can say, oh no, for our championship in 2015, we beat the Boston Renegades, we beat Chicago Force, we beat right. um, the Dallas Elite. Whereas, who wants to win some championship where you didn't play anybody, where you didn't you yeah. know, there was really no competition, and for however many years you're saying you're a champion, but there was no competition. So what are you a champion of? And I think that's something that I know for Boston in 2011, 2014, we had to go through the toughest teams in order to get our championship rings, and that means something. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the accomplishment, like I said, it's, it's, it, 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 it's more legit. That's the reason the bottom line. Yes. It's a more legit yeah. accomplishment. Um, mm-hmm. Adrian, I know you're busy and always a busy, busy girl. Um, before I let you go, I want to just get a perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we were at the Super Bowl. You guys were at the Super Bowl. Jen's at the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. The the Women's Summit. Um, you were in my neck of the woods, and I had other things to do, and I I wanted to go to Frisco because I'm like two hours away, and I never didn't get a chance to. But anyways, right. Um, so tell us a little bit about that in terms of what what that brings to the table with the NFL umbrella. Well. Oscar, you know, it's, I really, I can't speak to it because you're speaking specifically of the NFL, the women's summit. Yeah. The women's summit. Right. I I was not in attendance. It was, it was, um, how can I say this? It was 
a closed event. So the NFL was very strict about oh, okay. who they were allowing to attend. Yeah, so I can't really speak on that at all. Okay, no problem. Um, so mm-hmm. at this point, Adrian, with GI Quindum, uh, do we got anything coming up this year that you are kind of give us some uh, maybe a teaser on in terms of what's happening for the year? Oh, that's a good question. So Gridiron Queendom, we're continuing to uh, really just source out all the news and events that are going on uh, with women's tackle football around the world, um, also with uh, flag football. And I think at this point we're now reaching out to, uh, calling out to um, women who are playing the sport who or who are fans of the sport who can become almost like uh, GIQ correspondents, the so Gridiron Queen of mm-hmm. Correspondents in different geographic regions of the world. So if we, we're looking for correspondents in Australia, uh, in Japan, in all of the countries in Europe, uh, in Canada as well. So definitely if anyone listening is interested, male or female, in helping to uh, bring about news, report on what's going on in the world of women's football in their particular region, please reach out to info, I-N-F-O, at G-I Queendom, that's G-I-Q-U-E-E-N-D-O-M.com, info at G-I Queendom.com. And I'd love to uh, connect with with you and uh, get you started up to uh, to help us spread the word and continue to promote girls and women in football. Now, all the stories that you're doing, uh, everybody knows about it because uh, you're you're a big fan uh, on our Facebook page, in terms of your mm-hmm. uh, your website because of all the the stories that you're doing with you know the uh, youth, as well as some of the uh, inspirational stories that you have going on. Yes. Um, do you have any any things lined up in the next couple of weeks that we should be aware of? Well, I'm working on. I'm not sure how many people uh, are aware, but um, Allison Cahill, Cahill, who's quarterback for the Boston Renegades, she just had her 100th win on Saturday, um, the game against Pittsburgh. So we're looking to kind of do an exclusive interview on her and just just kind of memorialize that this. It's a pretty big deal, you know. She's setting. I've talked to her about it, and she. She's a very humble person and is just doing her job pretty much, just, you know, playing a game, winning as many games as she can win, and, and not really to just win per se, but to just be the best quarterback and leader she can be. But I think it definitely is something that the sports world and sports history needs to take note of, this landmark, so to speak, of winning 100 games. And that – Yeah, we this want- is no different than uh- – this is no different than Lisa's 10,000 exactly. yards when for Lisa, passing. Exactly. So it's the same. When Lisa got the 10,000 yeah. yards, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal, and we need to memorialize these events because now it goes if – you, if, you, if it goes down into the history books as having, okay, this is an achievement. So Lisa Horton with her 10,000 yards passing, and now we have Allison Cahill with uh, 100 wins. I think it serves as a fantastic goal and reminder and, and – and, a form of aspiration um, or inspiration for, for young, for young girls, for, for girls coming up and saying, not only is it okay for me to want to play football and for me to pursue playing football, but now I have this goal. Like I can say, I want to be like Lisa Horton and throw for 10,000 yards. 
or I want to be like Allison Cahill and win 100 games or more in my career. And I, I think that's something that's close to my heart is really shedding light on and, and just applauding the effort of athletes such as Lisa and Allison. And there are others out there, but we're just speaking about these two right now and what they've done individually as athletes for the women's game. Now, um, Adrian, in Allison's uh, perspective, uh, I know she's not going to acknowledge, you know, but 13 years is a long time in the sport, kind of like what Lisa mm-hmm. says. So this is mm-hmm. a real milestone in terms of just the scope of the league in itself because we're yes. talking like, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady-like, you know, or Lord. The only difference is we don't have the media coverage and we don't have the, you know, the mm-hmm. things that normally you would get press on, you know, with major press. But are you guys thinking of doing anything in terms of a poster or something they can put on social media, hundred, something like that? I know Pittsburgh did that when she, uh, when Lisa put in her, 10,000, it was pretty much a, a nice GFI or a, a nice right, little, uh, right. you know, poster. So just, you know, to profile it on their, on your page or something like that, you know, uh, but you yeah. know, that's something that could be done that way too. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I know she's, she's one of the best. Uh, we, you know, since I've been following sports and when you dive into numbers and you dive into, you know, personalities and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I've interviewed her before a while back. Mm-hmm. So we know what she's capable of and what she's, what she brings to the table. Um, and you wouldn't expect anything less from a superstar like that as well. Right. Right. So true. So, um, Adrian, it's been a while talking to you. So I, I, it's always entertaining. Uh, at one point in my <laughs> life, I my life, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to meet you and, uh, hug you and all that other good stuff that goes along <laughs> with greeting and meeting. Um, so at this point, I, I wish you continued success. Thank you for coming on. I know you're, you know, you're a busy girl and everything. So um, thank you to all your staff. Uh, we network with you and we try to, you know, promote the GI yes. Quindam stories and get them out there because they're that important uh, to make people aware that obviously, you know, uh, girls can play American football and they can play it at a high level and not just mm-hmm. in one realm of the world, but in every aspect of the world. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're, you know, we're, we're forging ahead just like you are in different aspects and hopefully at one point or another, like I tell people, we're going to be, become a big bubble gum where everybody can chew on it. And everybody's good with it. And flavor is great. Um, so hopefully <laughs> at one point, you know, things are going to get bubble, bubble gum uh, all together and then we're going to be relevant. Uh, but we are being relevant. So, you know, yeah. between uh, a lot of other people doing their part um, and a lot of people voicing, you know, their uh, love for the game, it just, it be, it's becoming a lot more relevant in terms of media I know I speak mm-hmm. to a lot of people on a daily basis because they, they see me cover, you know, uh, Australia. They see us cover the Swedish leagues, the German leagues now, right. the, the Italian leagues uh, and the French leagues. And, and then they're like, how do you do that? And, and it's the same thing you said, you know, earlier when you were uh, reaching out to folks about, you know, gathering information. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we, are, uh, we had a meeting about six months ago, and I can tell you right now, uh, based on what we're at right now, uh, mm-hmm. we want to be the ESPN of women's great iron. And we've committed to that. And based on people that are in the background, like yourself and other people that we network with internationally, I think mm-hmm. on a social media scale, uh, we can get there. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the one thing that will prevent anything from elevating is to your point earlier in the conversation, which is, you know, the, the leagues have to get their their stuff in order in order for, you know, us to, you know, portray something that sponsors will be 
eye-catching with, and then at the same time the league can benefit from. But um, th- this is the first step. I think the tier system works. I enjoyed yes, it this year. I agree. I'm continuing to enjoy it. So I think, uh, you know, to Lisa, if she's listening, uh, I think this is the this is the best way to go forward. Uh, whether the IWFL does it or not at this point, uh, one of you, one of the leagues has to stand out. And I think uh, we talked to Odessa. We talked to Rich Daniel. Mm-hmm. We talked to a lot of people behind the backgrounds. Uh, this is this is the league. If it wants to stand out, this is the league that has to sit down on a table with a lot of creative people and like-minded people like yourselves and ourselves and everybody else. And we need to come up with a uh, number one, a good marketing plan. Number two, something socially that will be impactful on social media because we have the reach mm-hmm. now. You don't have to spend so much money on the social media. You can only the budget is not even an issue anymore. It's really just about getting the word out and how much more faster can you get the word out uh, in this day and age than you know with uh, social media buzz and creations and all that stuff. So we mm-hmm. can do it. It's just a matter of wanting to do it. Um, so Adrian, Chicago comes with a, a hefty price. Um, if you lose, where do you stand? I don't want to say you're going to lose, but if you lose, is that a, a you know an issue with the playoffs? Is it a must win in DC? So we, before we let you go, where, where do you think you'll stand? Uh, it's it's funny that you ask that, and my answer is I don't know because I don't consider losing. So right now <laughs> I'm only focused on winning. So I have no idea. You tell me. And honestly, don't even right. tell me because I don't even want to hear it. I'm not going to tell I'm, you. I'm not, gonna tell you. About, I, I'm not even going to predict the star right now. <laughs> All, all I'm about, all my teammates are about is winning. That's the only thing we're focused on. And um, okay, so, after, you know, Saturday at 10 o'clock East Coast time, if if we have not won, then I can maybe answer your question. But as of right now, I'm just focused on uh, working with my teammates and, and putting points on the board. All right. So you say, uh, say hello to Allison for me. Uh, tell her congratulations. We are, uh, you know, very happy and, and excited for Milestone and, uh, you know, wish her the best of luck. Continue on what she's doing. She's obviously one of the mm-hmm. best, um, you yeah. know, top five quarterbacks, if not top two. So um, congratulations to her as well. And, you know, to everybody in the organization, uh, because of the transition that's happening here, a lot of people don't realize, you know, that everything has come at a price and you guys oh, have done yeah. an admirable job internally with the organization, with fundraising, with getting the word out, I will have to give you a, a, a you know, just an applaud and a, and just a great effort that you guys have done to uh, couple yourselves with the uh, women's sports locally, you know, with the breakers and the pride and, yes, and getting yourselves yes. out there in that sense. I think that speaks more volumes than trying to attach yourself to a name brand NBA or NFL, because it's, mm-hmm. it's just going to increase more awareness and soccer, along with hockey, tough, mm-hmm. th- those are tough sports anyways. So I, I kind of think it goes hand-in-hand hand with what you guys do as well. I, you know, I completely agree. And the the ownership uh, management for Boston Renegades have just been working nonstop ever since uh, kind of taking the reins and, and, and bringing in a new era of, of women's football in Boston um, from last year. And it has just been – phenomenal. So I join you in just thanking all of the coaches, all of the staff, management for working tirelessly, uh, sometimes 24 hours a day, multiple days a week to uh, keep the team up and running. And we have improved uh, 
this year over where we were last year. So it can be done um, not only in the Boston uh, sports market, but similar strategies can be implemented in, in other markets throughout the U.S. where women's professional sports teams band together, support one another, help market each other's events, uh, games, et cetera. It's definitely something that uh, we as women have the power to help one another do. All right. So, Adrian, thank you again for coming on short notice. I know, like I said, you're busy, so I really appreciate your time, and the fans appreciate your input, and look forward to Chicago against Boston this weekend, game of the week in the WFA. And uh, hats off to your uh, – to all your teammates out there and to the Boston uh, management as well for their awesome job this year. Thank you. Thank you, Kishi. Thank you, Oscar, uh, for, for all that you do. And just, again, shedding uh, some positive light onto, onto the women's game. Much appreciated. Thank you, Adrian. Have a great one. Safe travels out there. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So that's Adrian Smith in um, Kishi. So one of the probably the best wide receivers if not top five wide receivers in the whole uh, WFA or in the nation, if you want to call it, and also a gold medalist on the U.S. Olympics uh, team. So she knows what she's doing. She's she's played the game long enough. And we talked, we touched about how you know we need to merge the leagues. But if the merges the merge can't happen, one of them needs to stand out. And I think the at this point the WFA in 2016 seems to be the t- the league that wants to stand out. And they're putting together some great matchups. Are you there, Kishi? All right. Holly, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. I uh, took a little longer than expected, but uh, I don't know if Kishi dropped off or not. She looks like she's here uh, still, but we'll see. Um, so Holly, welcome again to another week. Um, how are we doing in the Northwest? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Um, we had a bye weekend this week, which is which is nice because we uh, had six straight weeks of games, and so our first bye is kind of later in the season compared to to normal. So um, I think our team is uh, ready for a bye week. And so uh, now that we're kind of rested up, we go down um, this Saturday to play Southern Oregon, uh, who just came off their first win ever, which was big for them. Uh, so we're excited to go down to Medford. Now, uh, Holly, just talking to Adrian here, uh, marquee game of the week, Chicago-Boston. Uh, we had marquee game of the week last week, uh, Boston-Pittsburgh. <laughs> and then we had a game before that, chicago DC, um, I, I don't know. I, I, to, I, I don't know what you, how you feel, but uh, I think this is NFL-like in the last couple of weeks. If you're, if you're a women's football fan, this is just like the cream of the crop going up against each other, you know, based on the I, schedule. I, I totally, I totally agree. And um, like you guys were talking about earlier, as we continue to to set up these matchups you're gonna it's going to be like that and you're gonna see more of that and I think one of the benefits of the tier system it, uh, like uh, Adrian was saying earlier is that it kind of forces you to step your game up and because that's what competition does and so the more times you put two competitive teams together uh, it's just going to make everybody else better 
So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, that Boston game over Pittsburgh, um, I think was a big statement game for Boston that, uh, uh, that they are a force to be reckoned with going, um, down the stretch here. And this game against Chicago is really, if they can get that win, will really give them momentum going into playoffs. Yeah. And we just talked about the history between Boston and DC and how fitting it is that their last game of the season is Boston DC after their, you know, 17 second loss in the regular season. Now it could be a playoff crucial game in terms of, you know, getting into the playoffs structure. Right. Um, but the history's there with that. Um, on your neck of the woods, I was going to talk to you about because this Portland shockwave team, uh, I've mm-hmm. been researching the last week and a half, um, as uh, Alex Daniel would like to use his word, gruesome, and they've been playing good <laughs> ball. <laughs> so yeah. uh, what do you think of the shockwave this, you know, coming in the last three weeks of the season here? Are they going to be something to deal with in the playoffs? Um, yes. I mean, the way that they're they're set up, uh, the two teams that were important before when they merged together, uh, the talent that were uh, that was on the, each individual team complements each other well. Uh, so on the original version of, of the Shockwave, you had a lot of veteran experience. And then the Phillies had less on the experience side, but they had more youth as far as experience. Um, and you add them together, and they really – kind of merged together in a way that now they're they're one strong team. Um, and so they seem to be rolling. And, uh, you know, my team's going into that last game, hopefully having something to say about it. But I think, depending on where they end up in, in the playoff seating, they're definitely a team that people need to be on the lookout for. Um uh, just because of how they're physically built. They're a tough, physical, smart team. And if you're out of alignment, they'll make you pay for it. You have to play very disciplined now, against them. Now, Holly, you think it's going to hurt them because they're not playing that big of a competition except for maybe Majestics at this point at 5-1? and one? Do you think that's going to be a, um, maybe a factor? Yeah, that's part, the of, that's part of the deal with the, with the Massey rankings is, you know, if it's us or Portland, either direction – we're both facing the same obstacle and the fact that it's just the way that the region is set up. Um, our division, right. uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, tier uh, two and tier three teams uh, just by our alignment, right? So because of that, right. our strength of schedule is a lot further down the rankings than, than you know, teams like Boston who play Chicago and, and Pittsburgh uh, back-to-back weeks. So it's, right. it's a, there's pros and cons to it. So, Obviously, you know, Boston, like teams like that, have a tougher road to get to the playoffs. Um, but uh, on the other hand, it kind of pays off in the long run for them um, because we don't have much say with who's on our schedule. You know what I mean? Um, and so we just play who we have. And and uh, if you look at the, the playoff rankings, you know, that puts us um, uh, towards the bottom of the totem pole mostly because if you look at our strength of schedule, we're, you know, like I think the last time I checked it was like 35. Right. Um, and, and so it, it's tough because you're, you're kind of stuck. You just play who is on your schedule and then, you know, see what happens basically. And, um, but I think as the tier system starts to develop more, that will start to shake out better. 
Yeah, and and I think you know the reality is like we're talking to Adrian. Uh, you have to be committed to something because if you if you're not mm-hmm. committed to something, then we're just you know we're going one year with this and one year with that. If you're going to commit yeah. to let's say the Massey rating mentality, uh, it's almost like like I said earlier, like college football. You're going to have to right. stick to one pole, and then at that right. point, it's kind of a a gauge as to you know do you move to tier one because you you know you warrant that or your schedule. Uh, based on previous year and then take into account some of the demographics and the algorithms that you're able to move up the tier. I know they do it in the Mexican mm-hmm. leagues. Um, now currently they do it over in FX Mexico where they have mm-hmm. three divisions, uh, where they have, you know, mm-hmm. the beauty division, the, the strong division, and the and they call it different division by name. But anyways, so they, they put each team, and depending on where they end up at the at the, at the end of the year based on scheduling, strength of schedule, and based on results in the playoffs, uh, they are given the option to either move up a tier or move down a tier at the end of the year. Right. So they're able to compete for that. So I think that's more valuable for a team because if, you know, you get approached with, okay, you're not really, uh, you know, tier one material yet, or let's say, like, to your point, with the, based on personnel changes and based on recruitment and everything else, um, you know, you'd love to be at the top tier every year, but based on other factors, you could drop to a two or a three just given the fact that your personnel has changed. So I think that's, I think it's a better gauge all the way around, still maintaining uh, a good face with the franchise, you know what I mean, in terms of the brand. Because if you're facing call, uh, t- top three, uh, tier three teams within your division and you are tier three, then obviously the competition is going to be almost equally at the same if you were doing – you know, tier one to tier one. So, I I, I agree. I think um, ideally, if I you know could wave a magic wand and I had you know complete control over how everything was set up, I think I would make the tier one teams just play tier one teams in the regular season, and and somehow find either a sponsor or figure out a way around the travel because the main part, the main hindrance to doing it that way has been travel costs because it costs a lot of money to move a team of 40, 50, 60 people, um, you know, across the country to, to go play these games. But right. in the long term, it's worth it. Like if you had the, you know, top 15 teams in the country that were continuously playing each other, the, the travel costs will be worth it because you would, in, in the long run, would earn that back in the marketing that you would um, develop from that. And then I do agree with the moving up and down. I think that's a healthy way of doing it. And then uh, maybe there could be some sort of, like, uh, you know, evaluation and review, um, you know, some sort of procedure to make that happen so teams aren't just doing that back and forth every year. Um, but if a team, uh, you know, completely changes and wants to, you know, go down or they're really being competitive at their current level and they feel like they want to move up, then by all means, I think they should be able to do that. Um, But the name of the game is that we need to create as much competitiveness as possible because that's what breeds the best product on the field, which in turn – puts us in the best position to get that marking to get where we want to go. Yeah. And I think the, the reality is that is uh, we know, we all know the cost that's, and yeah. that's why I've always stressed that 
we need to make a regional. It works. It works easier in the East Coast, I think, in a lot of ways because there's a lot more closer teams in a regional aspect of it. On the West Coast, right. it's a lot more spread out. You know, you got yourselves in Portland in the north. You got Dallas uh, out there in Texas. You got, you know, uh, Cal War Angels, San Diego Surge before that out in Cali. It's a lot more spread mm-hmm. out, and that means that there's a travel cost. You know, either be on the road or it'll be by airline. So that that's right. huge. That's why I've always said that if the WFA wants to make a statement, uh, they have to take like the uh, the NWHL model, which is the National Women's Hockey League model. Which what they mm-hmm. did is they took a regional mentality, put you know a Boston, a Montreal, Toronto, uh, you know a Buffalo, uh, New York. They just put you know four teams in in this regional sense because it's basically an hour flight. So even if right. the players were able to come somehow a budget an eight week uh, session and get a great deal on some on some travel cost to minimize that in terms of travel, um, that works sense. So you know, lucky for them, they picked up like Dunkin' Donuts to cover some of that cost. So right. you know that saves them you know big money, and then they also picked up another sponsor to take care of the rink fees, which in you know in, right. in women's football would be like. You know, somebody covering like maybe uh, an MLS stadium, you know, that you can that you can actually rent, you know, something like a you know mm-hmm. soccer stadium that you can convert to a football stadium, just on a smaller scale, like maybe seven thousand fans or something like that. So you know, the right. the idea is there, and I really think that it's going to be on the East Coast where the league needs to really focus on because that's major market. That's New York. That's Boston. Mm-hmm. That's Washington D.C. That's Chicago, Illinois. You know what I mean? The, the potential is there right. to, to get sponsors to open their eyes to the product has to be there. Um, not take any, not taking away anything from the West Coast, but you know the focus should be there. Um, so you know, be given the playoffs, uh, Holly. At this point, we're mm-hmm. into week eight. We got about what three weeks left almost. Everybody's got at least three yeah. weeks. Uh, Dallas is at six and zero, oh, pretty much in control of their division from what I can see in the standings. Uh, Kansas yep. City will they're three and one St. Louis is three and two they're, they they might uh, you know I don't know if they'll miss the playoffs but they, they're going to be tough at the bottom to make, make the playoffs Central Cal like I said before they I don't think they've played anybody really competitive in terms of a tier mm-hmm. one and to your point obviously that's not their fault it's just the way it's worked out so we'll mm-hmm. see how they'll do and maybe in a playoff mode um, in your neck of the woods, you have the undefeated shockwave, and you got you guys is at five and one. So there's mm-hmm. you know opportunity there. So how do you think it's going to shake up at this point? The last three weeks, I mean, the East Coast is a dogfight because you have like you know we were talking about right now in the East Coast, you've got tier one, tier one. Basically, the next mm-hmm. three weeks, some of those teams are going to be uh, facing each other, just like if it was a playoff round. Yeah, I think um, the East Coast, just because of the way that it, it's set up, um, and a lot of those, if you look at the, the one through six on the seeding with the East Coast, a lot of those teams play each other, you know, consistently in and out. And, and it, it's not that way necessarily on, on the on the West Coast because we're so spread out that we mainly just play in our division. Uh, we, um, as a matter of fact, only play teams in our division this year which in um, previous years we would play teams in our division and maybe one or two that were in the region but outside the division just to kind of mix it up. 
And um, so because of that, I think the West Coast is going to be more the, – the Massey rankings are going to be a bigger factor as far as strength of schedule because some of the, most of these teams don't play each other. Central Cal and Pacific, uh, I think they play each other because they're, they're in the same area. We play, you know, Portland. Dallas plays uh, Arlington and uh, Kansas City. So those three teams play each other. But it's more divisional on the West Coast. And because there's not a lot of uh, interdivision games on the West Coast, then you're really talking about the strength of schedule. Um, and so I think in the last three weeks, the big games are going to be, you know, between us and, and Portland to find out, you know, who gets that uh, top spot there. Um, and the Central Cowboy Pacific again? Okay. Back. Yeah, they're, I mean, right now, Massey has everybody pretty much ideal where they're at. So um, if yeah. you looked at it today, currently as it stands right now, we got Dallas. DC one and two, which is I which is I agree with. I think that's really where you're at right now, uh, because Dallas yeah. hasn't get hasn't gotten beaten by anybody tier one related, right. and it's not their fault. I mean, they just played the way it is. Like, and you're to your point, strength of schedule is just is just where, the way it is. So um, then you have Central Cal and then Boston, which you know we were, we were just talking about this. Um, is Central Cal better than Portland? Um, at this point, based on, you know, one's 5-0, and oh, the other one's 6-0 and oh on the West Coast. But based on the Massey ratings, you know, the shockwave are way below what Central Cal is. And we're talking, you know, uh, we're talking everything taken into account, everything scoring and all that. All that, that. Um, yeah. Then you got Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh um, that rounds up, you know, rounds up the top five. So you got Dallas, D.C., Central Cal, Boston, Chicago, and Pittsburgh, which, based on their schedules that we just talked about, uh, Chicago is going to face Boston, <laughs> and then Chicago mm-hmm. will face D.C., um, so that only leaves the elite and the angels that are not really going to do anything in terms of until the playoffs start. But everybody mm-hmm. else will be tested, so it's going to be like kind of like um, kind of like the NCAA tournament <laughs> for them. For those yeah, the, three, the three East weeks Coast, for them. I think, it's, is going <laughs> to um, be kind of a play-in scenario. Like you earn, yeah. you earn your seating. In the last couple of weeks exactly. there. And, and that's exciting, too, because that's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, Adrian was saying. You don't want anything handed to you. So you want to be able to right. turn around and, you know, if you bump anybody off, you're going to say, well, you know, we bumped one versus one, not, you know, one and right. two or one and three. It's, it's you know, it's equal footing and the best team won and we move forward. Um, I'm very excited for – D.C. Um, versus Boston in the last week because of their history, as we talked to Adrian before, uh, Boston yeah. has always had their number. And so, you know, I, it's a new season and everything, but uh, I'm pretty sure Boston's going to recall that 17 seconds last-minute touchdown, especially when it says it's, one, you, you know, the last game of the season and you're going to the playoffs if, if you win. I'm pretty sure it's going to be about in the back of their mind, so – uh, to go to right. go forward, um, so you know the, the surprising teams in the Massey ratings is the bottom ten, which you guys are almost at the bottom of the top. I think is the top ten. Let me see, or two, four, six, eight, ten, top twenty. So you guys are in the top mm-hmm. twenty still, based on the the Massey ratings, uh, mixed in with right. Tampa Bay, Atlanta, St. Louis, 
which is also the same. It's also in the same concept that you guys are in the Northwest, that Southeast Florida, you know, uh, swing has the same intangibles as you, as you guys do with the uh, travel costs and everything else that's included. So that's the reason that some of those teams also don't play their top one tier because of those. So, um, Holly, is it, it, as a player, you're off, you know, you're rehabbing, Mm -hmm. you're able to follow it just like we do as a, you know, as a fan this year. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that stood, has stood out to you so far in in eight weeks? Um, a a lot. I, I think that the biggest thing that we can take away from this year so far is that competition is king. And so as this tier system develops, the product on the field is going to get better and better. And so that's what's really exciting um, is that for years it was mainly about the right to play, and now it's about developing and perfecting the product. And so I think as we understand that concept and as we push uh, to make, you know, procedures and and set things up structurally to allow us to compete at a higher level – it, it's going to pay off dividends. It, um, I think you're going to see a snowball effect, and it's only going to bring everybody else else up with it. So the Tier 2 and Tier 3 teams, as they start to develop, they're going to understand finally. I kind of have a, um, a saying. So when I went to the camp in New Orleans, right, mm-hmm. it was really fun, but Another thing that brought me a lot of perspective is I've been going to a lot of these camps for years now, and it's been very helpful for me as a um, uh, a player in, in developing to be around different coaches and different players because what happens regionally in the Northwest a little bit sometimes is that uh, we know each other extremely well, but we haven't had a whole lot of chance to travel outside that or even a little bit on the West Coast, but we need to be able to travel outside of ourselves in order to know where we're really at. So when we went to the camp, a lot of players from the Northwest came over. Every single team had, I think we had 25 to 30 players from the Northwest region and went out there, right? And so all of a sudden now they're saying, oh my gosh, like, wow, look at all this and look at what this coach is teaching me. And and it, they didn't realize that that level was out there. And now they're taking that knowledge back with them and developing it with their own teams, which which is exciting. But I think as as the tier system continues to develop, you'll see a lot of those tier two and tier three teams understand what it takes to be at the tier one, and they'll strive for that, and they'll get better. And that, that competition level will rise too. So everything will rise up with it. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying it's 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 way more exciting product this way, and and for sponsorship mm-hmm. and marketing and for, you know, to do a presentation as a league, that you know you have to focus uh, on your your uh, top regions or your heavier regions because that's the only way people are going to take notice of it. I mean, I know you right. want to incorporate. I've I've had the argument where everybody goes, well, you're going to take away from the grass uh, grassroot level of everything. No, you're not going to take away from it. But what you're doing is you're neglecting that a little bit because you have to neglect it. In order for you to get noticed, um, you have to put your best foot forward. And based on this year's scheduling, strength of schedule, based on, you know, the matchups that have been in place for the last, you know, three and a half weeks here in this this season, 
Uh, you can truly see that if you have this type of play with the caliber of play that we've been watching for the last, you know, four weeks within these top tier teams, um, I think, you know, somebody will get behind it. It's just a matter of showcasing them. Uh, like you said, the branding that needs to be showcased by saying, Hey, we, we have short competitive games. We, we don't have blowouts. We can get, you know, within a, within a touchdown or two of a good matchup. You know, we can get to a, a field goal situation where it's last minute and we're going to get to the down to the wire. Um, so, you know, it's, it's crucial for me. It, I've been talking about it and you know, being a dead horse. It's crucial for me. Like, you know, if I can, if Lisa even listens to my show, I'm pretty sure, she, I don't know if she's listening or not, but it's crucial for her to put a committee together to just dissect in terms of the East Coast expenditures, what it would take to put the very, you know, look at the Massey ratings and just put the top 10 teams in the Massey ratings. And the only intangible that I see right now based on the Massey ratings is there would be some extra dollar allocations for Dallas and there would have to be Mm -hmm. an extra allocation of funds for, let's say, Kansas City. And you might have Mm -hmm. to allocate some extra funds to a Seattle or a Portland just to include them in the mix for like one or two matchups. If you decided not to go that route, then you don't have to do anything but maybe allocate some money to Dallas, which is basically a travel cost for maybe two or three matchups in the year, where they would have to travel to Chicago, of course. They would have to travel to Boston, and you would have to travel to Pittsburgh maybe or you know allocate some funds to travel to D.C. in that aspect of it. But then you would be Mm -hmm. showcasing your top six, seven teams in the league with the highest caliber of you know talented players with the probably the highest caliber of coaching in terms of like you were talking about with the, you know, the growth of it. And then, you know, the potential is there for, you know, uh, a live stream to focus on a game of the week and maybe go into that. And I understand, you know, the debate's always been from other people is we don't have a large attendance base. I understand that. I understand you don't have a large attendance base. I understand it's, you know, it's in, in, in the hundreds understood, but in order for you to get attendance to go up, you also have to make the effort to expose the game. And so even if it's, you know, Facebook live after interviews, or even if it's, you know, Periscope, like we talked about before, right. To get just the red zone coverage or something like that. Uh, Just a matter of everybody kind of on the same page um, to get it out. The expenditure is not going to go away because as you grow, obviously the budget has to be bigger. And as you grow, you know, things are always coming to play. So the money is never going to be, a fixed. In other words, it's always going to be something that you have to, you know, manage, uh, you know, uh, allocate for distribute. That's always going to be the case, whether you're at this point or whether you're, you know, the NFL at, at a billion dollar state, there's always going to be something to do with money. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, I, this season, Holly, I mean, I, you've been off, but we've been always fans. Uh, this is probably the best season that I've experienced since following women's football. And I think this is a good thing for progress. It's it's a good thing to, you know, to think about, you know, sticking with it, using the Massey ratings as a real tool, and then using that tool at the end of the year to really say, okay, well, if the if Dallas is truly one of the best, then we gotta we gotta come up with a plan to uh, allocate some travel funding to get them to to play the DCs again and stuff like that. So I know that's you know a simple conversation that we have in right here, but um, you know the the logistics of it is still is is a you know is a hurdle basically. 
No, I, 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 um, I totally agree. And if you think about it, one of the reasons why everybody loves the NFL is because of the parody. It's because it's very difficult to have a quote-unquote dynasty team in the NFL because it's so competitive. And that's why everybody loves it. And one of the reasons everybody loves football is it's a game that's played, you know, once a week. But as, uh, uh, you know, especially Americans, we watch it basically every day of the week during the fall because we can't get enough of it. Um, But it's only played once a week. So it's kind of a, a funny scenario. But because it's only played once a week, each game is very important. And because the NFL is so competitive, each game is extremely important. And in college football, you know, especially when we were dealing with the BCS era of college football, every single game mattered. And so we need to create a system in which every single game matters. And so maybe we start, you know, with the East Coast because you're right, they are a lot closer together, so it's just more convenient um, but we also do need to incorporate the the West Coast as well. I think one of the things I've also learned from this season is that there's been kind of a regional thing going on with women's football, I think, a little bit, in that teams on the East Coast, they know each other extremely well, they know all the history, and they maybe don't know us over here as much, and we know all our stuff, but we maybe not as much over there. And I think we're bridging that gap a little bit. And I think yeah. we need to continue to do that. So uh, while I totally agree with the regional thing with the East Coast because they're so close together, we definitely need to incorporate the West Coast as well um, because we need to get to a point where we're like the NFL and it's no problem for, for Seattle to uh, fly out to Dallas or fly out to um, Chicago or fly out to Boston without even thinking about it. And that's yeah. where we need to get to. And so, um, so I think on a level, on a level of getting noticed, I really think it has to start in the East coast, just like the women's hockey league does. We have to get it start, you know, fire started more in that sense. Um, right. Because once you get it excited and once you light the fire, it's not going to matter because you can get a good one or two seasons of quality or three seasons of quality football on the East coast. Then eventually sponsorship comes and then you include the West region uh, as a, you know, supplemental. And then you're able to incorporate those teams to maybe travel across the country in that manner. But it has to start, I think necessarily probably on the East coast because of the travel being less, the cost could be probably managed less uh, things like that, but logistic wise. Um, so, you know, uh, it just it just seems like we are going forward in some sense. So I think that's sort of a positive in a lot of ways to go forward. Um, and Kishi's gone. So Troy wasn't here today because he's uh, he had something else to work on, unfortunately. And so um, I guess we'll we'll finish up with you if you if you got another 15 minutes. I'm just going to go through the recaps here um, and then you can put your two cents to it if you want uh, in terms of what okay. I'm speaking to. Other than that, uh, we'll be out of here in about uh, 15 minutes or so. So you want to stick around? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, one of the intangibles we're going to have on here is I'm going to be talking uh, a little bit of the LFL because that's pretty much in the news and everything else. But other than that, we're going to be talking about international. So let's go into the recaps here. And the recaps in North America, we talked about the WFA, big game coming up here in Chicago taking on Boston. 
So that's going to be a big matchup. The other matchup that I saw here on the schedule, let me pull it up here. Uh, let's see here. What's the schedule look like here this week? Boom, boom, boom. Week eight. So week eight, you got Divas at Phantoms. That should be interesting. And then you have the Passion coming off the uh, loss to Boston, taking on the Dark Angels. Um, Kansas City taking on the Crash. You have uh, Majestics, as you said, taking on Oregon Lady Renegades. And we have probably the best name in football, the Trauma, taking on the Everett Rain. And Central Cal taking on West Coast. So, And then um, Dallas taking on Arlington. So there's a couple games in there that are going to be pretty exciting to kind of keep an eye on. on. So um, in, the WI, in the IWFL, the Sharks have been undefeated so far. So um, at this point, let's see here. So Sharks are 5-0. and uh, The Carolina Phoenix are 5-0. and The Montreal Blitz, 5-0. and The Vixen, 5-0. and The Jackets are 3-0. and the Bobcats are 5-0, and and so there's some interesting matchups coming up on the schedule. And we'll take a look at the schedule here for the WFA, and we're looking at week 7 or week 8? Week 8. So we got Energy taking on Wildcats, and you have the, uh, the marquee matchup would be the Sharks taking on the Baltimore Nighthawks. That'll be the marquee matchup there for this week, and then the Prodigy maybe taking on the Blitz from those two. Um, so far this week. So um, let's see here. Where am I at still? And the matchups in the WWCFL this week, it's going to be Saskatoon taking on the Regina Riot. Uh, Saskatoon coming off their 2015 championship. This is a league. I don't. Do you follow the WWCFL, Holly? I have uh, a little bit, but not as in-depth, uh, obviously, as the WFA. Okay, so basically we have a, a couple teams in there in the league, very good quality teams. I mean, you have to equate them to probably the East Coast Swing and the Tier 1 in terms of mm-hmm. their caliber of play. Um, so mm-hmm. there's basically, what, eight teams in eight teams in the WWCFL. The Valkyries are, have been um, champions ever since the league was uh, in, in existence until last year when the Riot – uh, won the championship, and it was kind of like D.C. versus Boston type ma- uh, matchup, and that's two of the strongest teams in the league right now in terms of um, their scheduling. So at this point, uh, it's uh, May 23rd, Anarchy Steel at the Steel, Electric Steel. you got the Storm taking on the Rage. And then on the 22nd, you got Fearless Wolfpack taking on the Valkyrie Riot. So um, that's going to be the marquee game of the week. Uh, Valkyries and the Riot. The uh, Valkyries, like I said before, are champions. Um, they've been champions 2011, 2012, 13, and 14. Four-time champions, so big-time dynasty there. And last year, Regina right. won. So on the standings here, uh, they beat Valkyries. Uh, Valkyries are coming off a big win against Manitoba Fearless, 61-1. to And because it's Canadian rules, uh, the one point is allowed instead of like a two-point safety. So it's kind of like a one-point. Right. So they only mustered one point. Uh, the Riot against the Wolfpack, Riot on a roll, 47-0. to uh, They had uh, played the week before, 40-6, to taking on the Fearless. Um, so, you know, this is kind of like the best two teams in, coming up this weekend. So we're, that's the marquee game right there. And then uh, the Rage on a roll also, 
Uh, Calgary on the western side has done really well starting the season off. They were at 26 to 14, taking on the Steel. Then they move on to week two, 84 to 18. Um, and then so last week they had a bye, and this week they're back on against the Storm, Edmonton. So Calgary against Edmonton is kind of like um, Pittsburgh, DC, Chicago, DC. Uh, same thing on the West Coast. So it's going to be pretty exciting for the uh, for the schedule this weekend. So we'll keep an eye on Valkyrie versus um, the Riot, and we'll be um, basically following up on at Stank Sports, which is Darren Stanky. We'll keep an eye on him, and then obviously covering leadership.com and then the um, and the Star Phoenix for the uh, recaps. So we'll go from there in that sense. So WWCFL. And what do I have here? Let's see. Down the bottom here, it's sticking to North America still. Uh, LFL Week 5 results. Los Angeles Temptation taking on the Dallas Desire. The recap on LFL 360. So you can go to LFL360.com. Get the recap there. Uh, just Temptation coming into this game. They were beaten by the champs in the first game. And then all of a sudden, they're playing at home. They take on Dallas. Dallas came in with former quarterback uh, Michelle Angel. They took him down to the wire, 32, uh, 33-32. L.A. change of quarterbacks. Jane Cogwell started the game, and then they switched quarterbacks with Kara Patterson. So uh, you can watch it on YouTube at the Legends Football League channel uh, and get the recap there. This weekend, Saturday, May 21st, via YouTube, you will get to see the Seattle Miss taking on the Chicago Bliss, the matchup of last year's um, championship uh, finals uh, where Seattle won in Seattle against Chicago. They're taking on a new quarterback, Jacinda Barkley, and uh, versus KK Matheny. Jacinda Barkley, former LFL Australia, New, New, uh, New South Wales uh, surge, and she won the LFL championship in LFL Australia. So they'll take on that. And then the live game that will happen in this week will be the Battle of Texas as the Austin Acoustics are going to be taking on the Dallas Desire. Austin coming off a 41-21 win against New England where you saw Tashe um, Winfrey and Michelle uh, Marshall pretty much take care of business there against uh, New England. Now you got Dallas Desire coming into this game 0-1, um, edged by L.A. by one point against the Temptation. So they're looking for, obviously, a even to get even at 1-1. One one. Two expansion teams, Dallas formerly in back in 2009, but returns this year. So we'll see what the outcome is. You can follow all the action uh, like I said, on LFL um, YouTube channel, LFL Legends Football League, or you can go to LFLUS.com. The Sugar and Spice Football League action kicks off this weekend. We will have results on our Facebook page, and you can keep up with them at SSFL uh, Football on Twitter, or you can go to Sugar and Spice Football League.com. In Mexico, FXL 2016 Conference 1 Final will take place this weekend, May 21st. It will be the Jaguars taking on the Heartbreakers. May 21st, it'll be uh, a great matchup here. The winner of this is basically Conference 1 champion. They just announced they were going to have Conference 2 season kickoff the same weekend. Um, you can get the details on our Facebook page. It's going to be a doubleheader. You can go there now and get the upcoming schedule for the FXL Conference 2 season. FSX Mexico, uh, all the MVPs of this season are showcased on our Facebook page, including the timeline results. So if you go to timeline, you can scroll down. You'll see FXX Mexico. Uh, that includes the results for this week as well, the scores. So go check it out. You can follow them at FXX Mexico on Facebook. Uh, Lexfa, which is um, Holly FXX Mexico and Lexfa equivalent of WFA and IWFL in the States. 
so so just so we're clear yes, on that. Yes, uh, we played. So, um, uh, Go ahead. A, uh, I think it was. Effect? Yes, we played a um, an all star team from from that league uh, last year in the preseason, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, and they're pretty good caliber play. So the um, they they got you know they're a big league. They're almost as I wouldn't say as big as the WFA um, or the IWFL, but um, they're probably the premier league uh, in terms of they're the only national uh, th- these two leagues FXS Mexico and Lexfa are the only two leagues that the um, the Mexico um, you know the Mexico Federation, which is USA Football mm-hmm. for them. Uh, it's the only two the, the only two leagues that they pull players from for the national team coming up for the next tournament. So that's, that's I remember really they, so they ran they ran the um the screen pass extremely well all game long. That's yep. what I remember. <laughs> yeah, they're playing good and they have some good they have some good quality players and they're being coached pretty well by some of the long tenured Mexican league uh, coaches in the uh, university down there and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, they're still making it. Uh, and it's over down. So Lexfa 2016 MVPs are on our Facebook page. Take a peek at the best players through week four. You can search Lexfa on um, Facebook. You can also go to their website at arenafootball.mx, um, arenafootball.com.mx. Uh, PGA, PGFL results and standings, you can follow them at Pretty Girls Football League also on Facebook. In Europe, we get a shout-out to the Orobro Black Knight of the Swedish Maple League upset the Stockholm Mean Machines, snapping a four-year winning streak. The Stockholm Mean Machines, they've owned the league forever, uh, and they had not lost a game in four years. And guess what? This week, 28-0, to not just beating them, but blanking them out. So, um, unfortunately, Stockholm also has been transitioning in terms of new players, so that could, that could have been the, uh, the factor there. But uh, the Black Knights last year lost to them as well in the finals. So this is kind of revenge in season. So they snapped their four-year winning streak, 28-0. to Congratulations to them. Ouroboro will now face the tough Arlanda Ar- Jets, who are both undefeated in regular play. So this is the marquee game in the Swedish League this coming week. So if you want to get details on that, you can follow us on Twitter. We'll keep tabs on both, uh, both of those teams. Uh, FIFA Spain uh, 2016, the final is set. It'll be June 11th. It will be the Barbera, uh, Barbera rookies taking on the Barcelona Buffaloes June 11th. Um, pretty much a marquee matchup on both teams. Both teams come with surprises here. Buffalo looking for their first championship. Uh, the rookies have owned this league, just like the Valkyries in the WWCFL. Um, so just like the, Sto- the Stockholm Mean Machines in the Swedish League. So uh, Barcelona looks to... Uh, upset and get one over the rookies or will the rookies return to the promised land and win another title so keep up to date on that with our network partner at nflhispano.com nflhispano.com uh, we go to australia and we want to congratulate the queensland sun devils they repeat as champions in 2016 of the uh, women's state match league the uh, wagl 39 to 12 versus the new south Wales coyotes shout out to the sun devils and our no joke football supporters christy moran lauren evans Kanisha Sims, also to the Coyote supporters that are also No Joke Football supporters, Kate Gardner, Stacey Spears, and Renee Hahn. This weekend, the Gridiron New South Wales and the Ack Gridiron will combine as one team. They will field one squad, and they will take on the newly formed Gridiron Victoria Eagles on May 21st. You can follow the live stream at gridironvictoria.com. Reminder to visit our shop at zazzle.com, zazzle.com forward slash gridironbeauties. 
save big with daily codes. So far, we have raised uh, $60, which is not much, but $60 towards the goal to help the Outback Squad in, uh, in uh, going towards uh, 2017, and that was $60 in April. So far this month, we're at over 20 so keep uh, going to the shop, getting your uh, chalk line out, a uh, no-joke football shirt, and you can sh- showcase it on our Twitter feed or Facebook or on Instagram, so share it out. So big games this weekend, as we talked about, Holly, WFA, IWFL, WWCFL, so a lot of women's football internationally as well. So stay tuned all weekend via our partners on Twitter. My Y Sports will cover some of the WFA, IWFL inputs, WF, uh, WFBF fan art. Uh, thanks to Michael Bernie, and he will give you the uh, rundown scores as the games end. Thanks to him. He's doing a fantastic job, so we appreciate his efforts. At Stank Sports, Darren Stanky, he will cover the WWCFL this weekend for us and keep tabs on him as well as the Leader Post and Star Phoenix, which network with us to cover the WWCFL all season long. And as well as a shout out to Random Riot Fan, which is a big fan of the Riot. And uh, he's on Twitter and he's done an amazing job since week one. So continue to do that. And he has tweet, tweet, tweet by tweet insights as well as uh, recap towards the end. And we appreciate that. We will tweet out the live feeds as they become available on some of the games uh, in terms of live stream or in terms of um, anything to do with, you know, Periscope or Facebook. As everybody uh, communicates with us, we'll go ahead and tweet that out so you can get the link and actually watch some great football live. Um, Also, week three in Germany and week four in the Women's Maple Leafs in Sweden will also kick off, so we'll keep tabs on that. Um, So, Kali... uh, Literally out of breath here. We got a couple minutes left. Um, <laughs> this is this is what I do. This is my life, as the story goes. Uh, just amazing football all the way around. Not just in America, but uh, you know, Canada with Mexico. Um, we got Sweden. There's going to be an event in Australia. Then we got. Uh, we haven't even talked about the Italian league, which goes into week four, which I didn't mention here. But the CIFAF. Um, so we'll keep tabs out on Twitter as well. But uh, always busy. So it's kind of like a linebacker blitz to a quarterback. So I guess that's exciting. <laughs> it's a good thing that you're out of breath, that you have so many things to talk about. That means that the sport is growing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of nice to have, uh, you know, you have uh, not just NFL during the week, you know, because I don't like arena football mm-hmm. anyways, technically, but I, I, I get to watch it once in a while. But but reality is, you know, it's, it's where we're at now. I think uh, – the opportunities there. A lot of people always, you know, they, they'll tweet me and go, Hey, do you ever sleep? And I got to be honest <laughs> with you. I do get sleep. It's just a lot of things happening. You know, uh, while we're awake, Europe's asleep. And as soon as we could try to go to sleep, Europe's awake. So, you know, we, we just, it's just the way it is in order for you to cover everything. Um, but we have some great people working besides, you know, and so um, I wanted to give you some props because we have a lot of feedback that comes to us for the show. And even though we only have, what, 16 followers, as uh, Troy would say, they're diehards. Um, <laughs> uh, everybody's been very, very uh, excited and thankful that you've been on the show. So I uh, really want to, the crew f- from us to you, want to really thank you for coming in week to week and giving us insights and your uh, thoughts on, you know, not just the WFA, but in general, women's football and, and uh, the scope of it and talking NFL once, uh, once we get to the, to the stages as well. So, um, you know, we want to give a shout-out to you on, on the radio because you've done great so far. And 
I know the circumstances is not what you want it to be, but uh, technically, I guess it's a, it's a good alternative. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for that. Um, I very much appreciate doing this. It, it's kind of it's fun for me, um, you know, and it's a different perspective. So the way that I think about it is, it's just another way for me to learn more about the game. It's just from a bigger perspective than normal. And so I'm able to take the information that I've learned over the years of playing um, and apply that. And then when I get to the point where I'm able to play again, I think it will just make me a better player overall. Um, And so that's kind of the way I look at it. Plus, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I can talk about football pretty much for hours. I mean, you can ask anybody that knows me personally. I will not shut up about football. (laughs) I love it. And that's why we have you on. And that's why we have you on, because you're awesome. So, um, thank you. Holly, thank you again. If uh, You're going to be back here next week, uh, unless uh, anything yeah. else comes up. Great. So, we look I forward to having you next week as well. We hope Troy will be back. Uh, and Kishi uh, had a bell on us, of course, because she's got family and all that. So, going after the hour. But glad that you were here with me and uh, keeping fort. So, uh, we look forward to the WFA Week 8. Big matchups, big games. Looking forward to Chicago taking on Boston this weekend. That's our marquee game as well as the Valkyrie taking on the Riot up north in Canada. And so, uh, you know, for Oscar Lopez, Troy Wilson, and Kishi Free, and co-host Holly Custis, we'll see you here next week right here on The Blitz on Block Talk Radio, UltimateSportsTalk.com, and on John, John M. B. Davis. Wix NFL Network. Have a great weekend, everybody. All right, bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.